1: Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday, November 7th, 2021. We are reveling in the aftermath, I guess you could call it that, of the Mexican Grand Prix. And we're going to talk about that and a bunch of other stuff. But before we get into the race itself, Mark, we are on the cusp of an extremely short week here in Canada It's a Remembrance Day on Thursday, no doubt. Lots of people are going to parlay that into a four-day weekend by taking Friday off. So however you slice it, most people are only going to be working four days a week. And that fills me with hope that I will have finally a quiet weekend ahead of me. But enough about me. How's your weekend been?
0: Oh, it's... I think I've mentioned this on the air before, but we fly a week on Tuesday. So it's a trip we've been planning for a very long time. So we put ourselves into, I was going to say hibernation, but it's probably <laughs> the exact opposite. We put ourselves into isolation, not hibernation, isolation. So in the spirit of being ultra cautious, we've isolated ourselves from the world a little bit. So our little guy's still going off to daycare every day, which seems like a really safe place, knock on wood. But we've been isolated. we're packed, we're ready to go. Wow. At this point, Respect. it's more about... what do we need to take out because we're probably going to be bringing stuff back with us and then finally over the course of the last couple of days I've got to get all of my camera gear ready and oh my goodness there's a lot of it and so much so in fact that I've been hiding some of it from my wife because I don't think she realizes just (laughs) how much I'm planning to bring and she walked into the bedroom tonight and I was trying to disassemble a full-size tripod to fit it into the suitcases and I was caught red-handed I don't think she realized I was bringing a full-size tripod but It's happening, my friend. It's happening. But other than that, everything's going great. Haven't really seen any great movies lately. I know there's some good ones out there right now. I wanted to see The Suicide Squad this weekend. Didn't get a chance. Saw Night Teeth, I think, last weekend on Netflix. And for anyone that's listening at home, I'm a huge fan of uh, vampire movies, so that one kind of clicked with me a little bit, but other than that, everything's great, and not only is it a very short week, for those of us on, on the north side of the U.S. border, Thursday, November 11th, is Remembrance Day, something that I think you and I take very, very seriously, mm-hmm. and absolutely, uh, we reflect on that day, and we really take stock of all of the great things that we have, because of the generations of Canadians that came before us, but yeah. to your point, it's a four-day weekend, and it's a sprint qualifying weekend
1: you know like everything was sounding really good until you got to the sprint qualifying part because everybody's really really cooled on that and and it's really sort of including yeah including i mean we were very very buoyant and very you know excited about this you know just dial it back three or four months ago and we've really really changed our minds on this now it's kind of like oh great sprint qualifying so I don't know. It, it, it is what it is. It, it could perhaps maybe add a bit of a twist to, to the weekend. But you know that Lewis and you know that Max really aren't going to push it because there is so much to play for, to coin a phrase. I mean, if you go and look at what happened at the race today, obviously coming into the race in Mexico, at Mexico City uh, this afternoon, it was very much looking like, a, a you know, it was setting up to be potentially something good for Mercedes, which lasted not even to the first corner because, I mean, they had their first front row lockout of the year, which is shocking. I mean, Mercedes front row lockouts have been as regular as, you know, clockwork over the past uh, seven and a half years. And to get to like, you know, three quarters, five eighths the way through an entire season before they actually got one is a, a bit mind blowing. But, The weekend in and of itself was a little bit interesting because it started out, uh, Mercedes was a little bit better in free practice one, then Max dominated free practice two, and then we had uh, qualifying and Max and Sergio starting on row two, but I mean, starting in P3 for Max Verstappen was not a disadvantage and he turned that very much into an advantage. And boy, uh, do you do you want to walk us through the start, Mark? Because, you know, I was at a regatta this weekend, and I came in at about lap six to watch it live by the time I got back into the clubhouse to sit down and open up my phone. And I actually didn't realize that anything had happened. Well, I, I noticed something had happened because Max was first, Lewis was second, Sergio was third, and I see Danny, Rick, and Valtteri Bottas running a country mile down at the bottom of the grid. I'm like, okay, something happened here. And it took a minute or so to kind of really get up to to, to speed but that start was very very interesting and that first quarter was very dramatic
0: and i do have to apologize as well i should have known you probably weren't able to watch this one live you had so many obligations today i did but
1: though i watched myself- all but five laps uh, live i had to go back and rewatch the start when i got home but it, the, the timing was almost perfect. That
0: is commitment, and I apologize because you, me, friend of the show, Matt Sakaris, we have a iMessage chat group, and Matt started messaging a little bit before the race. And I quote: "This is likely Bottas's last moment in the sun, yeah. last chance to win a Grand Prix." Moments later, I message that sun <laughs> set quickly, oh, and boy, did really, it ever! I think you did a good job of setting up the Grand Prix because free practice one. It's one of those things where the teams are setting up the cars, they're setting up the aero, they're they're working in the tires, you're you're rubbing in the aggregate on the pavement. There's not a lot that you can take from free practice one, to be honest, but free practice two, the Red Bulls looked fantastic. Free practice three, they looked absolutely fantastic. And Lewis later said that during the strategy session on Friday night, that Mercedes were expecting the Red Bull teams to be up two tenths of a second. And ultimately, they were closer to, at least in the case of Max Verstappen, closer to five tenths, half of a second by the time you got to the Grand Prix. But we go into qualifying and all of a sudden, both of the Mercedes cars seem to have some real significant Pace, surprising amount of pace to be totally honest, mm-hmm. but I think what I took from that, and you and I, and I think most of the internet spent most of Saturday litigating what had happened with Yuki and with Sergio and with Max, and ultimately a- none of it seems to actually matter because. Yeah, and
1: please, sorry, go on. No, I, I finished that thought, but I do want to talk about that because I went back and watched um that last part of Q three. I watched it from. Um, as it happened on the TV feed, then I went back and watched it. Well, let's talk about it. Okay, now. Okay, well, please f- go. F- fair enough. Okay, so the big uh, there, there was a bit of a um, you know tin hat conspiracy going on that there there was some yes sort propagated of, by me, yeah, propagated Clearly by you, propagated by me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on, on Saturday night uh, that there was maybe some sort of you know you know shenanigans going on between Red Bull and Toro Rosso to potentially position their cars around the track strategically to maybe give the Red Bull cars a bit of a tow. At uh, you know different parts in the track on that final hot lap. No, it was it was very interesting. So, so what I did is I went back and and like I say, I watched the TV feed. What we saw in Sky as it happened with the commentary and you know it, it's a little bit disjointed. You know you you kind of the cameras flashing back and forth, so you don't really pick it up. You know you you see you see Yuki coming back onto the track. You see Sergio going off, and then it's kind of bouncing around all over the place. So then I went through and kind of watched from the the, the in car cameras from about four or five different cars. I checked Max, I checked the two Ferraris, I checked the Tar Rosso's, I checked uh, Checo. And it was really quite interesting because if you listen to, or if you watch Checo's in-car camera, you know, it, it's very, very silent until you get about uh, three quarters of a way around on his, his outlap. And then when you get into that last, maybe third quarter of that uh, that that that, that outlap, his race engineer is feeding him a little bit of data, who's in front of him, and uh, and that sort of thing. And you can hear him, oh, can, you can hear the SATs, which is Scuderia, Scuderia uh, Alpha Tauri, the Ferraris, the McLarens. So he's all kind of like talking through it. And then it's interesting too, because then when you see Max, Max goes along, he's like, okay, in front of you, you've got the McLarens, you've got the Ferraris. So obviously, those, and the, the the Toro Rosso's, and they're just like, you know, they're basically setting them up um, you know to give their teammate a toe and it's just basically treat those cars in front of you as one car so to try and get that uh, that gap that you want it was kind of interesting as you watch them sort of pick their way through and you watch where where uh, Checo is. You know, he kind of gets between the Ferraris and Yuki was in front of him, but it wasn't like he was tucked up uh, behind him, you know, for the you know that um, you know that part, you know, a good part of that uh, that that hot lap. But where it gets really interesting is where you went into that that uh, that you know that right left-hand combo there just before you go into that uh, final 90 degree corner that brings you back into the stadium and then ultimately around to start start finish I don't really know what Yuki was doing because he's going into that corner he didn't lock his brakes I think he had a bit of a mental lapse and then I don't know what Checo was thinking because he wasn't tucked up underneath his uh, his his gearbox it wasn't like he was right up underneath him uh, because, um, you know, he, you know, I, I think maybe, che- or sorry, uh, Yuki did lock his tires or something, but it was clearly a bit of a mental thing. But then it was like, to me that, uh, that Checo got a little bit uh, distracted by it because, you know, he bails out of that corner pretty quick and then goes through that asphalt runoff area, kind of dodges between some of those styrofoam blocks that they have and goes back onto the track and then rejoins. And you can tell by then that, you know, he's blown his hot lap and he just kind of tours back to the pit lane. But you know, this is where it gets really, really interesting is uh, that if you look at Yuki's in-car camera, and I don't know, and I'm not suggesting otherwise, but uh, it's it's very odd because he goes off the track into the runoff area. And then there's there's about it looks to be several seconds missing from the in-car camera. And the next thing you know, it's he's driving down that straight that short uh, straight section of track before you they do the right hander into the stadium section there. And then I was just like, well, that's kind of strange because it's you know, it's it's all live, and then it's just like, you know, it wasn't like there was like four or five seconds of dead air. It just kind of like jumped, and I'm just like, well, that would have been interesting if somebody had actually recorded that live feed, because that was a bit bizarre. But that, that whole thing was, was strange. And then, you know, Max wasn't really anywhere. He was kind of, I, he found a little bit of a gap. I, I think there might've been one of the Ferraris because I think the car in front of um, Yuki might've been Carlos Sainz if I'm thinking uh, correctly, but uh, it, it was interesting. I mean, there was talk about it and and, and France tossed to the kind of downplayed it, I think this morning or on Saturday night that there was nothing, there, there were no shenanigans or teamwork going on between them. But I mean, obviously there would be nothing said over the race radio, but it was interesting because they were all very, very quiet on their, their, their radios and Checo didn't actually say anything until he pulled back into the pit lane. After his uh, very last uh, lap there, and then dropped a couple of f bombs <laughs> as he's pulling up <laughs> to uh, you know where they're asking him to, to to stop there just after he entered the pit lane. But very very interesting, and it did ask some questions. And like I say, that 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 missing gap of time and Yuki's camera feed is it, it's a bit strange, you know, especially in supposedly what's a live replay. No, I don't know. It is what it is.
0: And I think to be clear, uh, for those of you that maybe weren't on F1 Twitter yesterday, the speculation, not necessarily the speculation, but the conspiracy theory was that Yuki was sent out by Red Bull specifically to give a toe to his teammates. And that when he approached that corner, he was intentionally going to run wide to give both Sergio and to give Max behind him some some clean air. Unfortunately, when he went off, he kicked up that dust, which distracted Sergio, and Sergio went off. And then when Max approached, Mm -hmm. he saw the dust assumed that there was going to be yellow flags and he lifted and ultimately it compromised both of their laps and I think both of them managed to get another lap in after that by by that point, it was too late and Belt Bottas had a fantastic lap in the books. Now, the reason, of course, that this is controversial potentially is that it's not a good look. And again, we don't know that this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Obviously, neither Franz nor Christian Horner are ever going to have this communication over open radio during a race yeah, or during course, a qualifying right? session, but rather there's nothing stopping them from having these conversations prior to a race or between Grand Prix weekends, but there's also nothing stopping. It-
1: via text message on their burner phones.
0: (laughs) Sure, yeah, exactly. Kevin Kevin Durant style. Exactly, But but there's also nothing stopping friends from just recognizing that, hey, they are our teammates and we need to do what's possible to put them in a position to be successful. And I'm going to quote here as well because one of the things that I did take note of, and Yuki posted this tweet. He posted it only in Japanese. So I'm relying on the built-in integrated Google translation. But he says, Good qualifying. I will be penalized for engine replacement this time, so I tried to assist my teammates today. Teammates, plural. Now, again, I'm relying on Google Translate, so I Mm -hmm. don't know if he actually wrote teammates, but the only teammates that he could be inferring in this case is going to be Gasly, Sergio, And Max, given that they're all part of that that Red Bull family. So that left a little bit of distaste in my mouth. Not that I have any criticism or frustration or anger towards Yuki because he's a young driver who's just executing the strategy that was probably provided to him. But that's really what set up the Grand Prix on Sunday. So we have this kind of mixed bag of experience and results from a Red Bull perspective. To your earlier point, Mercedes qualifies one, two. They lock out the front row for the first time this season, which is just mind boggling. Who would ever have thought going into this season that we would be in race number 18 before that happened? But we go into the Grand Prix weekend. It's about 47 degrees at the track. Track temperature is very, very, very hot. Mm -hmm. You have Bottas on the clean side. You have Lewis on the dirty side. And I think really, all you really needed to see was approaching that first corner. And it is a long long run to that first corner, and we've seen chaos there in the past. See, We saw chaos there in 2019. What we needed to see was Bottas fight off and defend against Max. That's all he needed to be able to do in that corner. So Bottas doesn't get a good start. Lewis does get a good start. So Lewis is effectively wheel to wheel with him as they approach turn one. Max, who started third sneaks in behind Bottas is right on his bumper gets the slipstream darts out to the outside Bottas brakes absurdly early ridiculously Mm -hmm. early he is ultra cautious and he's he's a clean driver and he's a little bit cautious on the brakes regardless but he is ultra 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 early on the brakes now a lot of people are saying hey look Max was just really brave because he breaks so late going to that corner. I think he was, but I think the fact that Botas breaks so early made his move look a little bit more aggressive, but ultimately well, you know, just Max just delivers jump
1: an- in for sorry just to say that I think that that uh, that that um, Botas realized that he was the filling in a championship rival sandwich. And perhaps uh, maybe decided to back off, you know, not to put his teammate at a disadvantage because I mean they were all going down that straightaway, you know, line of breath. I mean there must have been seven cars, you know, you know, running all side by side in two rows. I mean, you know, you had you had uh, Max. Uh, and Lewis, and then behind him you had Checo and Ricardo, and maybe was it Carlos Sainz? I mean, you had them all there running line abreast. Let's pick it up on the other side because this is going to be take a bit of discussion. So let's take our first break, and then we'll jump back into it right after this uh, short message from our sponsors. Passion, drive, and patience—the formula for winning championships—is also what keeps your ride or die alive Okay, well, welcome back to the show, and Mark, pick it up. I said jumped in there there and uh, kind of stole a little bit of your your thunder, but you were talking about how Voltaire, you know, really braked early going into that first corner. I think that it really is key because not only did he sort of um, you know make Max's look uh, move look a little bit more courageous than perhaps it was. I mean, Max obviously braked a lot later. And then it set him up at a bit of a disadvantage because he had Danny Ricardo and Checo Perez fighting for position right behind him. And Danny gets onto the dirty side of the track. He locks his brakes. He's a bit of a passenger. He drives right up the the rear of uh, Bottas, hits him on the right rear tire. Danny breaks his front wing. He sends uh, um, Bottas, pardon me. Flips him around uh, 180 degrees. He's facing the wrong way with about 18 cars bearing down on top of him, in a in a big cloud of smoke. And it just kind of goes off uh, from there. And as, as as he's facing the wrong way, there's more drama. You have guys going over Esteban Ocon's car, left, right, and center. You have cars going off into the grass. <laughs> And uh, surprisingly enough, there was only two more cars that were, were damaged and forced out of the race in uh, Mick Schumacher and Yuki Sonoda. First of all, they deployed the virtual safety car, then the full-on safety car, but it was a very, very dramatic, you know, th- there was a lot of things happening in a very, very short amount of time.
0: Look, Mr. Daly, here's my hot take. Bottas threw away the race, his personal race, Totally, he threw away the race for the team. He broke too early. He had one job. Mr. Bottas, you have one job. Hold the lead, or at the very least, hold Max back, and mm-hmm. he didn't do that he wasn't brave enough he could have run deeper he could have break deeper the worst case scenario for him is you know what you run deep you run hot you break late you run off the track and you rejoin giving up a few positions but in doing so at least you prevent Max from going around the outside and let's not take anything away from Max Max's move was terrific it was surgical it was smooth it was precise it was calculated it was beautiful but it was only possible because Bottas gave him so much room. And furthermore, it's not just that he he hemorrhaged that position to Max Verstappen, but because he breaks so early, mm-hmm. Sergio almost came into the back of him. And I am almost confident, almost certain that the reason ultimately that Danny Ricardo came up and poked him in that rear corner was because if you look at the footage, Daniel Ricciardo was reacting to the fact that Sergio was reacting to Bottas's early stop. Chain So reaction. ultimately, you could put the... Yeah, absolutely. You could pin Bottas with the blame for the fact that there was contact from Ricciardo. This is all on Bottas. And again... It's funny because on Saturday, people are singing his praises. He's a new guy. He's got the security of this contract. He's loose. He's relaxed. But he was ultimately far too conservative here. And I think the question that I have and what I would love to understand is, what was Mercedes' strategy in this race? What, what was their plan going into that first corner? Was it that he was going to give the corner to Hamilton? Because maybe it kind of looked like that, and maybe that's one of the reasons you would have braked early. But I don't know that Hamilton was setting up for that, for that encounter or for that opportunity. But ultimately, he should have gone deeper. Mm-hmm. He should have braked later. He should have done everything in his power to avoid giving Max that position. And that's why I find it so infuriating, because at that moment, the race was over. Now, here's my second hot take. It doesn't matter it doesn't matter ultimately because max was going to get that position because the red bulls had absolute supreme pace and within a couple of laps they were five tenths of a second ahead of hamilton and ultimately and i don't want to skip too far ahead but ultimately it was a pretty heroic finish that lewis was able to hold off sergio and if i would say there's losers on this day and there's winners on this day obviously the winners are going to be red bull as a team because they picked up an absolute boatload of points in the constructors championship but if there's losers on the day, absolutely Valtteri Bottas, absolutely the McLaren team, but even Sergio a little bit, because as much as he scored a podium, and it's the first time a Mexican driver scored a podium in Mexico, Mm -hmm. and the atmosphere, the 372,000 people was fantastic. And I don't know if you heard, but the race organizers are also confident that if they had capacity, if they had somewhere to put these people, they could have probably sold another (laughs) 40,000 tickets and cracked the 400,000 mark. So that was good. But ultimately, the other winner, or loser of the race is the fact that Sergio couldn't get past Lewis on infinitely better tires so fantastic damn near perfect race for Max he was fantastic he was surgical smooth and precise by taking that corner shame on Bottas for giving it up shame on him for making zero effort to defend it and then also a little bit shame on Sergio for not making a move or creating the opportunity to get past Lewis, especially on those last five or six
1: laps. Yeah, you make some great points there. And Lewis even called out his teammates, saying that he left the door wide open for Max on that first lap. And if you go back and watch the replay, I mean... All three of those cars get basically the, the same jump off the line. They are all very equal in their start, and you can see Bottas kind of drawing over a little bit to, to the uh, middle of the track. Lewis draws a little bit to to the left, and obviously he they're trying to set it up so Valtteri can give him the toe going down to that first corner, and then maybe uh, Lewis jumps in front, and then Valtteri runs interference for a little bit because in a best case scenario that's what happens, right? For for, for Lewis at any uh, at any rate, because then he gets. The the lead and he's just kind of p- or postponing or maybe deferring the inevitable charge and expected challenge from Max who has the superior he's got the fastest car for for a little while right and you know hopefully Valtteri can you know defend that position long enough because you know at, at a normal track you're looking between a second to two seconds is you know if you don't want to get too close and overheat your brakes and your tires and get in the ultra dirty air but in Mexico because of the altitude and because of the heat you're looking about two to three Three seconds, and that's where you're kind of seeing off of the, uh, the, the the beginning there. And that's why it was interesting because throughout the rest of that race, uh, especially for the longest time, Bottas was behind Ricardo, which must have been extremely frustrating for him because he's got a car that has the identical power unit in the back, both Mercedes Power, and he could just not get around him. I mean, he followed uh, Ricardo for ages and ages and ages. That's, that's a different story, but the thing is. That gap was left over, and I don't know if he was just uh, concentrating too much to maybe do a solid for Lewis Hamilton, and just did not notice where Max Verstappen was because Max very quickly benefits from that uh, that toe from Volteri, and as soon as that gap opens on the left hand side, he's all over it. And I mean, it was pretty spectacular watching all three of those cars going down that very long start finish straight into turn one, and Max just had a lot of grip, and like you so correctly pointed out, Volteri braked very. Very, very early. Max breaks, you know, a tad later than maybe Lewis did. Lewis was on the dirty side of the track. But by that time, it was all set up and everybody was bearing down on uh, Valtier. And it was a bit of like an, of a an accordion. And we saw a lot of contact. In that uh, that corner, and uh, I agree. I mean, it's it's a real shame that uh, he did not defend that because ultimately he did not do what his team needed to do. Now, I'm going to be a little bit less harsh on Chaco. I do think it's a shame that he did not you know, execute that uh, that pass on Lewis because it was really setting up in their favor. I mean, he was much, much quicker. He had the fresher tires, but I mean, they did say it was basically going to come down to him pulling off a, a move on the last lap. And it was a half-hearted attempt. It, it was there. He made a bit of a lunge, but it was very non-committal. And he really should have been a lot closer, a lot sooner, because I mean, it was all set up for a, a fairy tale ending. I mean, if you give like Red Bull marks on the weekend, it's it's maybe an A minus, right? Because they they were good in in free practice too. they bungled the, the, the qualifying a bit through their own mistakes and you know circumstances on the track but the race was pretty much spot on I mean Max like you say did a great job I mean the pit crew did a phenomenal job I mean Max's pit stop was like 2.2 seconds I think Checo's was like 2.3 I mean they were faultless Lewis I think had a fairly decent stop was maybe high two. Two point was it two point four? I was going to say 2.7, 2.8, something like that. Okay, so I, I stand corrected. But uh, they they totally messed up uh, Bottas's. Uh, you know, he came what would they they could not get that uh, left front on, and then later in the race, they're kind of bumbling about bringing him in a couple of times to try and take away that fastest lap point for Max Verstappen, which would obviously have uh, implications in the drivers' and uh, and you know, constructors' championships, potentially one or both of them, right? So that was a bit crazy, but I mean their 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 pit stops for Red Bull was great and ultimately Checo's inability to really put a convincing move or a, you know, a more threatening challenge on Lewis is I don't want to say a stain, but a bit of a, a disappointment because I think over the last several races he's been he's been delivering the goods in the way that they've really needed him to do. And so, oh, just I'm 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 just getting distracted here because all of a sudden the rain's beating off of my window, and it sounded like maybe something electronic was uh was crackling here. <laughs> Anyways, I, I did want to just uh, point out that when you look at the, uh, the the constructors championship now, I mean Red Bull was looking like they were starting to fall too far. Well, I wouldn't say too far behind, but two races ago that gap was what at about thirty points or something like that in the constructors championship. Coming out of Mexico, leaving Mexico City tonight, the gap is now down to one single point between Mercedes and Red Bull with four races to go. Mercedes 478.5, Red Bull 477.5. Red Bull obviously picked up a Boatload of points today. Mercedes gave away a lot in the fact that uh, that that Bottas just could not uh, deliver. And then when you look at the Drivers' Championship, Max is starting to open up. He's extended his uh, lead, which was 12 laps. Or Sorry, 12 laps. 12 points after last race is now up to 19. Max is now sitting on 312.5. Lewis 293.5. Bottas 185.5. Perez is only 20 points behind Bottas. Obviously, that gap uh, closed. Lando and Leclerc round out, uh, well, they're fifth and sixth but you know it is very very interesting where everything is sitting right now with 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 only four races uh, to go but you know we as usual we've done a very very good job of talking about all these things but we should finally run down the the final 10 places in the in, in the race classification max winning hamilton 16 and a half seconds uh, behind then you had uh, Perez in P3 then you had uh, Pierre Gasly good result for Gasly in P4 Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz coming home 5th and 6th for Ferrari, which obviously has uh, implications for that for third place battle in the constructors between Ferrari and McLaren. So a good, if maybe a somewhat overlooked results uh, on the day. Sebastian Vettel, maybe uh, not getting uh, not getting noticed for a similar reason, coming home P7, which was a pretty decent drive for the Aston Martin driver. Kimi Raikkonen, another one that kind of flew under the radar from coming home in P9. Alonso ninth. Lando Norris 10th, a very disappointed weekend for McLaren. And you got to look, Bottas after it was all done, finished P15. I mean, well out of the points, So You know, a very very disappointing uh, outing for Bottas, and of course, like like we were just saying, big implications for the constructors. But I mean, if you just get away from uh, the 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 two main rivals in Mercedes and Red Bull, Ferrari's extended that gap, opened that gap on the fact that they had a good outing this afternoon. They've got now got two sixty eight and a half, McLaren Mercedes two fifty five. So I mean, obviously, there's plenty of time and plenty of points for them to to pick up over the next uh, four races, but i did not expect to see mclaren have such a horrible weekend um obviously that wasn't helped by ricardo's first lap uh you know outing and uh and the, all the fallout from that alpine is uh, is uh, fifth currently in the constructors but you know i've rambled on for a bit mark so why don't we just to actually just to, i want to get your thought on that but uh, on on all of the things i just mentioned but let's take a quick break and then uh, i'll hand it over to you on the flip side Okay, well, welcome back to the show. We are talking Mexico. We are talking the Mexican Grand Prix. Mark, before the break, there I laid a lot of things out there. I wanted you to, to 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 speak to a number of those points. So, where do you want to pick up on? I mean, I was kind of bouncing around all over the place. There was there there was plenty of things going on, not just uh, the the, uh, the the battle between Max and Lewis and Lewis and Checo. There was there's plenty to talk about. It was you know. On the on the surface, maybe didn't look like a, a very eventful Grand Prix, but in fact it was there was a lot going on. There was a lot of drama this afternoon.
0: I think since I have the spotlight for a minute, one of the other things I should probably reference and call out is the fact that we are in the middle of the first ever first annual Scuderia F1 poster contest. Oh, yes. And Good if call. you haven't entered the poster contest, go to Twitter. Find us on Twitter. Give us a follow. And trust me, we appreciate every single person that follows us. Absolutely. Give us a follow. Find the tweet. Like the tweet. Retweet the tweet. Now, originally the plan was that we were gonna draw a single winner on November 15th. I made the I made the audible call made, is that I made the you audible audibled, an audible audible very I, I audible. We'll make it a verb. I did the <laughs> audible. I did the audible a couple of days ago. We've decided that for every 50 retweets, we'll draw another winner. So if we get to hundred, we'll draw two winners. And if we get to 150 retweets, we will draw three winners. And of course, we're hoping nice. to get these posters sent out before Christmas. And the very best part is you get to choose the print. And they're all photos that have been taken and edited by myself. So it's kind of fun, kind of personal to us. And I think we're gonna have a lot of fun with it. You gotta sign them. I'm not signed. I don't want to ruin them for people. <laughs> I, I was also going to put the the podcast logo on them, but I'm like, ah, I don't know if we want to go that far. But we'll see. They're going to be they're going to be great. They're going to be 36 by 24 inch, so nice. you get a nice uh, glossy poster to hang in your office, your garage, your your children's room, wherever you would like it. I think I'll just wrap up a couple of thoughts on the Lewis Sergio piece before we get into these other teams because I'm glad you touched on Ferrari because I think if you watch the broadcast today, they probably didn't get the glow, they didn't get the shine that they probably deserved. No one of the things that i took from lewis after qualifying and i think qualifying ultimately gave the grand prix a sense of a degree of suspense that it probably didn't deserve especially if you were very analytical and tactical and if you really looked at the performance of the red bull cars in free practice 2 and free practice 3 we should have known that that was a bit of a that was a bit of a magic show on On Saturday during qualifying session. And ultimately that pace wasn't really there, or at least that delta or that improvement. And mm-hmm. Lewis himself said after qualifying on Saturday, he said, and I quote, this was not in the cards for us today. They didn't get their laps together. We didn't make our car that much faster. So his tone, his cadence was very much one of being cautious and conservative. And I, sure. I think he recognized that, hey, look, we made, it may have posted a front row lockout, but the reality is they just didn't have their stuff together today. And he he literally said as much. He was also asked during the same interview that, hey, look, are you guys going to strategize you being Mercedes, are you going to strategize around Bottas finding a way to give you the lead? And Hamilton said, that's not the way I operate. I want to take that position from him fair and square. So I alluded a couple of moments ago to the fact that maybe Bottas was setting up to give Lewis that position. Lewis had said on Saturday that that's not something he was looking for and not something that he'd wanted. Of course, strategy can change quickly. And then just to build on a conversation point that you'd made a couple of minutes ago you'd alluded to a quote from Lewis but after the race and I quote Lewis here I had envisioned it differently naturally in the sense that Valtteri maybe got a better start and I would have tried to get into his toe, but obviously I was alongside him. So from the jump, it sounds like Lewis was expecting Bottas to get a better start. He would have ducked in, gotten off of the dirty part of the track, got in behind Bottas and got his toe. And ultimately what happened was Bottas had a bad start. Lewis had a great start and it was it was Max ultimately that was able to slip in behind, behind Bottas. So it's interesting. And then finally, Hamilton says, I was covering my side of the track, making sure that no one could come up the inside. So I was trying to keep whatever Red Bull I could see in my mirror behind. He said, I thought Valtteri would be doing the same, but he left the door open for Max. Max was on the racing line. So did a mega job breaking for turn one. And I was on the inside on the dirt and there was no hope for me. And ultimately the race was over at T1 because Red Bull simply had exceptional pace and I certainly didn't mean to go too hard, too aggressive on Sergio. I just, I look at the sectors and I looked at the capability of that Red Bull package today and for Max to go out there and put 16 seconds between him and the second place Lewis, either Sergio was just in a different world today from a pace and a kind of competitive perspective or context, or Lewis was heroic. I'm not sure. I think Lewis absolutely put in a great race. He did everything he could to preserve as much of the competition and the championship as he could it was definitely damage mitigation after t1 Mm -hmm. but your earlier point as well about the fact that for much of the season i think the debate from the red bull camp was hey we're all in the Drivers' Championship, and I think there was maybe a point a month ago where they'd written off the Constructors' Championship, but all of a sudden, they're a point behind. It's on. And both championships are wide open now, and when you start to do the math, there's four Grand Prix left. This is going to prove very, very challenging for Mercedes, and the other consideration, too, is one of the reasons, and you and I talked about this on the Thursday show, was one of the reasons that this was always going to be a challenging track for Mercedes was simply because one, is hot, and two, it's ultra-thin air. We're talking about a track that's 2,000 meters above sea level. And we've talked extensively about the fact that the aero changes and the regulations that govern the aerodynamic characteristics of the cars and the floors changed dramatically in the off-season, and they didn't favor the Mercedes cars. And ultimately, the Mercedes team made some decisions from an aero philosophy that was to gain downforce at the expense of cooling. And when you get to a track like this one, cooling is critically important. So this track was always going to potentially be at a disadvantage for Mercedes. Now, the challenge is going into Brazil next weekend, that track itself is also 750 meters above sea level. So certainly not certainly not 2,000 meters, but it's not at sea level. So that could also be at a disadvantage for this team, especially if it's hot. And try now. Touching back on the Ferrari piece, my prediction mid-season, and I talk about this all the time, was that Ferrari was going to surge in the second half of the season. And certainly, I couldn't have seen the string of relatively soft or lukewarm performances from the McLaren team coming. But Ferrari starting to extract some significant pace out of that power unit, and it all ties back to the fact that quietly during the summer break, they had announced that hey, we actually haven't fully developed or finished developing this power unit. And we have a couple of upgrades coming for the electrical system for the hybrid system. So they were able to incorporate those components into both cars by the fourth race following the summer break. And now they seem to have some excellent pace and if I could credit both Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc with anything during the back half of the season or really the whole season is they've been incredibly consistent steady hands for that team and they've made very very few mistakes so now the really interesting part of the championship is opening up on the constructor side which is at one point I think maybe it was a bit of a foregone conclusion that the championship might be split with Max taking the driver's title and Mercedes taking the constructor's title well now that constructor's title is wide open, but so too is third place, where for much of the campaign, it looked like McLaren were going to repeat that they were going to take third place once again. They were going to secure the extra prize money, but all of a sudden, it looks like it could be a red bull mercedes ferrari finish in the championship
1: yeah you know it's certainly looking like that i mean it was not a great weekend for for uh, mclaren i mean look lando only scores a single point by coming home 10th ricardo 12th after all that Uh, both of them were a lap down I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I guess that doesn't really count so much. Uh, it's or it's not as much of a, a disaster for Lando because at least he scored a point. But I mean, when you look at uh, Carlos and uh, Charles scoring or taking home points for a P5 and P6 and extending that gap in, in third in the Constructors' Championship, I mean, this could prove to be a pivotal weekend. And if anything, I mean, McLaren were looking... I wouldn't want to say odds-on favorite, but I mean, it, it looked like they'd been doing things a little bit better. But then again, perhaps Ferrari has been maybe flying under the radar to a certain extent. I mean, I know that they changed out, uh, like you say, the the the, the uh, components in some of their uh, in both of those cars recently, and Russia, and then uh, then uh, Carlos the weekend after. So I mean, they they have been making the upgrades, and perhaps you know maybe that came just right at the right, uh, right time because as you also said. They've both been very, very consistent, uh, Charles and Carlos. And uh, perhaps that uh, that that makes a, a, a difference. This could be the pivotal uh, race. I mean, there's still plenty of races left. There's still plenty of points left, but obviously they're numbered now. Like we said uh, in the most recent show, that you can see the finish line now. We've only got four races left. So everything sort of takes double points now, right? I mean- figuratively speaking because every point that you earn over your rival almost has more value to it than than it has uh, on on face value just to the fact that you know there, there aren't that many of them left And uh, that could really, really uh, prove uh, critical. I mean, I just also wanted to talk uh, about uh, Sebastian Vettel. A decent drive from him. Obviously, he kept his nose clean. I don't think we saw him very often during the race feed on Sunday afternoon. But again, the horrible, horrible weekend for Lance Stroll. The uh, Canadian driver, second Aston Martin uh, driver, continued another horrible weekend for him. And it's, uh, you know, we obviously stick up for the, uh, for the local guys, for the Canadian guys, but hard to stick up for him yet again, after such another brutal weekend and, uh, you know, just a, a terrible race again.
0: I completely agree. And I'm really glad you brought up the Lance piece. Obviously he had a really ugly incident and in qualifying and thank goodness he was okay, yep. but another soft weekend you look at the last 5 6 races let's go back let's go back to hungary so retirement in hungary he finished 20th in belgium he finished 12th at zandvoort scores 7th at italy i don't think that we should be praising him for that given the capabilities that we know that car has within it he finishes 11th in russia finishes 9th in turkey where he'd qualified on pole the year prior mm-hmm. 12th in the us and then 14th today in mexico when you can. Yeah, it's it's a disappointing campaign and I think he's making it very easy for the critics, for those anti-pay driver critics and I think sure. I get frustrated because I know what he's capable of. I just I can't believe that all of this is bad luck in just being in the wrong place at the wrong time that some of this is starting to prove a little bit frustrating to me but even then if you look at his teammate Sebastian Vettel you know he finished 7th today he finished 10th in the US he's only 14 points ahead of him 16 points ahead of him in the in the drivers championship so maybe this is the point where Lawrence and the rest of the leadership team at Aston Martin based out of Silverstone maybe they're just writing off this year and getting ready for for the next campaigning and saving whatever money they can but this this has been an incredibly disappointing championship for that team, and I think for Lance, uh, especially his best finish of the year is that P seven in IMLA. It's not good enough. It's simply not good enough, as far as I am concerned.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at where Vettel and Stroll are in the in the drivers' championship, Seb is twelfth, uh, Lance is thirteenth. Seb forty two points compared to twenty six for 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 his teammate. I mean, obviously, you would expect that uh, Sebastian would be the stronger of the two drivers. He would be ahead in the, uh, the, the the Drivers' Championship just due to the fact that he's an experienced veteran. He's a four-time world champion. He was a driver for many years uh, at Red Bull and enjoyed massive success there. I mean, he, then he went on to Ferrari to, you know, mixed success. I mean, we can really discuss that legacy at some point in, in the future, brought over the uh, last year to be that you know, that, that, that real sort of leader and uh, really help uh, build a solid foundation with that team. Maybe not for this year, but for the years ahead as a strikeout on the, uh, on their own. But uh, again, yeah, you know, I I mean, you said there was what, 14 points, 16 points between them, whatever it is. It's too late on a Sunday night to do the math, and I'm tired. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you would really expect to, to, to see more. Um, bit of a different, a disappointing weekend uh, for Williams, who I think we were pumping them up uh, quite a bit on uh, Thursday night on the weekly show. Uh, yeah, not really a, a great outing for, for either of them. I mean, they still, you know... Uh, obviously better. I mean, they're still ahead of um, uh, Alfa Romeo and ahead of uh, Haas. But I mean, I don't think anybody should be boasting that they're ahead of Haas in the Constructors' uh, Championship. But they didn't score any points on Saturday. Bit of an anonymous weekend for for both Nick and uh, for for George Russell. And they're still sitting on 23 points. Obviously, at the end of the day, they're going to be very happy with that, you know, come the end of the year, because that's 23 points more than they've had in the last uh, number of years combined. But still, uh, I I mean, they'd been showing a bit better form in uh, recent weeks. So as you mentioned, we do not get a week off uh, next week. We go straight from Mexico, fly uh, to the south, go to Brazil, go to Sao Paulo, go to Interlagos. As you mentioned, second highest track on the uh, the, the calendar. And um, as we've seen before, this is not... Uh, a track where we can, uh, well, let's just say we can get it all there, especially at this time of year. We've seen some torrential rain at uh, at Interlagos. I think we'll all remember, what was it, 2017? No, 2016, I remember Max was just flying all over the place and I just remember that uh, you know he was finding grip on wet parts of the track that he had no business and you know th- that was the year that Nico Rosberg won the championship and he made uh, Nico look like a bit of an amateur in those wet uh, conditions and the way that he made that pass I think it was about uh, turn three or something like that after the Senna S and I think he passed him on the outside of the track on the wet part of the track if, uh, if I, if I'm correct, I mean, it was amazing. So, I mean, it can happen. I don't know if there's rain forecast for next week. It might be a little bit too far out, but it uh, could be an interesting one. And again, Max, 19 point lead in the championship right now. Constructors is dead even. I mean, it's on. Max is feeling a little bit more confident, I think, than he did uh, two weeks ago. I mean, 19 points that can be erased over the course of four races, but he's got a bit of a cushion now. And I think if you're Max Verstappen, you're feeling maybe a little bit more comfortable that you're leading rather than chasing with four races to go, regardless what the final outcome is.
0: I'm glad you brought up twenty sixteen because one of the things our listeners ask all the time is what what Grand Prix should I go back and watch? Mm-hmm. And that was an absolute clinic by the sophomore Max Verstappen to to slice and dice the track that day in those conditions was phenomenal. And he was 18 years old. He was in just his second year in the the championship. He was only a handful of races in with Red Bull because he'd made that mid-season transition from Toro Rosso. Phenomenal performance and definitely, definitely worth revisiting if you have the F1 TV Pro app. Um, We could probably save, I have a couple of questions about Interlagos and in Brazil, but obviously we've got the Thursday show to dive into that. Yep. I think just from my perspective, it Sunday was a bit of a horror show for Mercedes. They obviously hemorrhaged a ton of points in the constructors' championship because of that the Bottas uh, I would say error mistake diving into or probably the lack of diving into T1 Obviously, the weekend worked out perfectly for Red Bull, despite the fact that there were some anomalies in qualifying. I don't think they could be happier. I think they would love to have had a 1-2, but I also don't think that they were going to put Sergio in a compromising position in the last couple of laps by having him try to force his way past Lewis and potentially... Compromise all of the points. So I think that Red Bull are probably ecstatic with that finish. I think Lewis put in an exceptional race today considering the circumstances and considering how much more pace the Red Bulls have. I think the question now is if Red Bull were up five-tenths of a second Mm -hmm. in Mexico and we go to another high-elevation track, if it's dry... Are they two tenths up? Are they three tenths up? Where is Where is Mercedes going to make up that delta? How much more can they turn up their power unit without compromising the integrity of the internal combustion engine and the hybrid components? And then I guess the other question is, if it's wet next weekend, what does that look like? Because maybe that opens up some opportunity for Mercedes as well. So to your point, a couple of moments ago, the championships are still wide open. Nothing is decided. Max is up 19 points, and there's a ton of points at play this coming weekend because there's three points available in the sprint qualifying session, and there's upwards of 26 points available during the Grand Prix itself. So, you know what? Lewis is down 19 points. That's not insurmountable, but it's going to make every race that much more, that much more intriguing and valuable moving forward. So we have Brazil, we have Qatar, which is the track that we've never seen a Formula One car. And then we go to Jeddah, We've never seen a Formula One car there. And then finally, we have the season finale in Abu Dhabi. And at this point, it still looks like that's where the championship will be decided, mm-hmm. but anything can happen between now and then. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, if we've learned anything over the last uh, 18, 24 months in this pandemic uh, situation in Formula One is that the, the, the schedule is fluid. And I mean, Jetta is by no means sorted, and I mean, that, uh, that point of no return as to whether or not constructions could be done in time is got to be coming uh, really quickly. I just wanted to comment uh, very, very fast on the fact that uh, you mentioned that we're going from a very high altitude track, Mexico City about 2,200 meters or 7,200 feet. Now we're going to enter Lagos, 750 meters or about 2,200 feet elevation at the track there, so not as thin the atmosphere there, obviously, but it certainly could uh, have um, you know come into play, as you mentioned, and uh, the, the the Red Bull, the Honda engine obviously has that advantage in their turbochargers, and uh, like you say, how much is that Delta going to be at that track over Mercedes? Is it going to be half a second? Is it going to be two-tenths? Whatever it might be is uh, certainly something uh, to keep an eye on, and I just uh, I had another stat here, just with four races to go, going back to 2016, with four races to go in the, the, the most recent championship that Lewis Hamilton was chasing, okay, this is a 20 race season in 16 compared to a 23 race season possibly in in 2021 after uh, with four races to go, uh, Nico Rosberg was leading the championship with 331 points compared to 305 for Lewis so 26 points so he had a race victory and then a little bit extra in his pocket. So over those uh, final four remaining races at uh, at COTA, Mexico, Brazil, and Abu Dhabi, does any of that sound familiar? Lewis managed to close that gap ever so well. I mean, by the end it was very very small and ultimately the the, the final gap was 5 points to uh, Nico Rosberg who finished the year with 585 compared to 380. Now the difference is there. Is that over those final four races, Nico was being quite strategic. He wasn't pushing it. He knew that Lewis had to go all out to try and close that gap. He had to take the the, the, the risks that he needed to. And uh, in order to, like he basically had to win out and Nico just needed to manage it and not take any risks and just get home cleanly and uh, hope he didn't have a, a mechanical issue that would force him out of the race or out of the points, which would really, really obviously uh, compromise his run out uh, to the season there. Where the big difference is this year is Max on 19 points with four races to go is that, you know, that Max is not going to back off. I mean, he does not have that that cushion in his pocket. And I don't know if Max would actually... Back off that much. I don't know if that's in his uh, in his DNA. I think that he might be a little bit smart about it, but I mean that was a very very managed way that Nico Rosberg saw that 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 season. Max, I think he would be smart about it, but I I don't expect to see a similar finish to this year as we did in 2016. I think they're going to race all the way. I mean, there's there's potential for Lewis to win it all of these races. I mean, Jeddah, Qatar, throw it up in the air. I mean, we have zero data on both of these two tracks, right?
0: That's a really great point that you make reflecting back on 2016. We could be in a position where Lewis has to, and I'm going to, I'm going to cop a term that I hear in the NBA all the time, but we could be in a position where Lewis may have to win out and that for Max to win the championship, he just has to finish no worse than second in the remaining races. Yeah. And that probably isn't the case going into Brazil, but it could be the case going into the final two or three races. And that's ultimately exactly what happened back in 2016. So mm-hmm. for those of you that don't remember, the championship was razor 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 thin we go into malaysia lewis has that heart clenching, heart exploding. I guess it depends if you're a Lewis fan or not, but ultimately he has a massive engine failure. There's flames flying out of the back of his engine and he's forced to retire. We go into Japan, Nico finishes one, Lewis finishes third. We don't see them on the camera at all because Bernie was in a dispute with Mercedes because they weren't selling their engines to Red Bull. And then we have four races left. US, Mexico, Brazil, Abu Dhabi, which just like you said, seems awfully familiar to this year. But all Nico had to do in those four final races was finish second and for Lewis to have any chance he had to win all of them and ultimately we go into that final race nico finish the second, Lewis wins the Grand Prix, but Nico wins the championship by five points. And one of the things that I think Lewis was certainly criticized for during that race Mm -hmm. was the fact that he was trying to back up the field because he wanted to give somebody else the opportunity to squeeze past Nico. So Nico maybe scores 15 Mm -hmm. or 18 points in that race rather than... Which,
1: if I seem to remember correctly, was Max Verstappen and Seb Vettel, who I think both of them did not want to get involved in uh, Mercedes' dirty laundry, right? But it was interesting too because the the final race that Nico won in 2016 was at Suzuka for the Japanese Grand Prix. He qualified on pole, and that was the last win and last pole position that he would take in that year. In the remaining in his career, in his career, his career. yeah, hundred percent. Suzuka was at 2016 was his final Grand Prix win in his Formula One career. And you go to Kota, you go to Mexico, you go to Brazil, and you go to to, to Yas. Lewis qualifies in pole on all f- at all four of those races wins all four of those races Nico qualifies in second in all of those races and finishes second in all of those races and basically managed his way uh, to a world championship at the end. I mean, I don't think we'll ever forget that, uh, that final number of laps at Yas Marina in 2016, uh, when you had Patty Lowe getting on the radio, telling Lewis to speed up and, you know, <laughs> Lewis is basically saying, you know, why should I, you know, I'm, you know, potentially giving away a world championship here or whatever it was. I can't remember his uh, exact words, but that was, that was quite uh, the, 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 it moment. makes
0: me, it, it also makes me think something too, that, that year, Nico, because obviously over the course of those last four races, mm-hmm. he's nursing his gearboxes, he's nursing totally. his power units, he does not want to compromise the the systems under the hood of that car. He could at that point afford to turn the engines down to 75 or 80% mm-hmm. and still be 5 to 10 seconds clear of the rest of the field. This year, we're starting to see a little bit of the same thing, which is those the top two cars, maybe not necessarily the top two teams when you factor in Bottas and when you factor in Sergio, but those top two cars are in a world, an entirely different stratosphere. But we could also see a reality where maybe over the last two races, you know, Max, maybe picks up the Nico Rosberg playbook and he dials that engine back a bit. And you know what? Qualifying second is fine. Finishing second Mm -hmm. is fine. I don't need to be at the front. I just need some clean air between me and Lewis. I let Lewis run away with this race. I'm just going to cruise to a second place finish because that's all I'm necessarily going to need. But it might be that, Hey, in the final two races of the season, he picks up that 2016 Nico Rosberg playbook and just dials it back just to, just to nurse that engine the hybrid components in that gearbox, home.
1: You know, another thing uh, before we sign off here in a couple of minutes, Mark, that I thought was very interesting as well. Two weeks ago at Coda, you saw Max Verstappen driving the wheels off of his car, literally, to stay ahead of Lewis Hamilton, who was closing him down in bucket loads in those that that final section segment of the race. Uh, when he had fresher tires, he had better tires. And uh, yet uh, Max manages uh, to to keep a big enough uh, lap, keep that advantage just to where it needed to be over the last uh, number of laps to take the, the, the victory. Whereas I think uh, maybe today this is, is another storyline that maybe got overlooked a little bit. Whereas that situation was completely flipped around for Lewis Hamilton, even though he didn't hang on, he wasn't defending the lead. He was fighting off Sergio Perez in those final number of laps in exactly the same position. Max, or sorry, uh, Checa was on fresher uh, tires because he pitted later. He was faster than Lewis. He was closing him down quite a bit. And I don't think this really got any mention, or at least, you know, none that I heard of. But uh, I, I think that Lewis really defended well and did enough and drove hard enough and fast enough just to keep Sergio out uh, of that striking distance because he did get within DRS and then some traffic uh, kind of got in the way and then ultimately he had that half-hearted lunge I think on the penultimate lap or the very last lap that uh, just was not going to be it it was not convincing it was never going to happen so Here's that uh, to ponder as well. And on that, sir, that's all I got for tonight. I mean, we got a couple of days off. We'll be back on Thursday night and we'll dive into our Brazilian Grand Prix preview. And then, we, you know, what's going to be cool after Interlagos next week is we're going to head off to the Middle East for a couple of races to several races to finish off the year. And it's going to be basically unknown territory, which is gonna be kind of fun, right? So, so true, it's gonna yeah, be exciting. Yeah, so.
0: And and on that, I know we've got to sign off. Sure. And I thought this, 20, this podcast was gonna clock in at about 20 minutes and we're <laughs> now at an hour. So in typical Hamilton daily fashion, we've taken a 20 minute pod and stretched it out to an hour. But one big ask of everybody at home, if you don't follow us on Twitter, please give us a follow. We are trying to build that community. We have a fantastic Spaces session every Thursday that we talk about endlessly because we have such good times there. And then finally, this isn't something that I would ever tweet out publicly, but if you do enjoy this show – we would absolutely love if you can head to your favorite podcast app, give us a rating, give us a review. It means the absolute world to us. We read every single one of them. We send screenshots back and forth, and we get excited every time we see one <laughs> drop in. But if you do like what we do and you enjoy the shows, even if you don't necessarily agree with our opinions, if you can give us a rating, give us a review, it really does mean the world to both of us.
1: Absolutely. That's that's the fun part is the, you know, to, to hear that people enjoy the show and the Spaces chat are a lot of fun as well because... Uh, we get to sit out and sit down and hang out with uh with you know more and more of you every week and that's fun because it's all off the cuff we just get to talk about whatever we want and it's not always formula one it's mostly formula one that can kind of go all, all over the place and uh, it's kind of cool to to talk with other f1 fans from all over the place but anyways We will uh, pick it up with the next Spaces Chat Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, more or less, 9 p.m. Eastern. And until then, thank you very much for listening to this week's show. Thank you for joining in. And uh, as always, if you want to find us on Twitter, as Mark mentioned, you can do so at f one pod If you want to get in touch via email, we get some lovely long uh, emails and uh, we save those up and do uh, regular email uh, shows. Sometimes, you know, we are on our A-game and we discuss them in the regular shows, but we always read them. We always get to them. And you can do that by sending us email at scuderiaf one pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's wrap. Have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now.